Praise the Lord and good evening. Good to see you this evening. In spite of the blizzard conditions, you made it. You know, I was thinking driving in, it's, it's not always an easy call to make if the weather's bad, especially if it's forecast to get really bad. And if, if you could always believe what the meteorologist said, that would be one thing. But you can't always. Plus, I got to thinking, you know, there are people who plan their vacations to go to places like this and sit in a tree and hunt or ski. So I'm thinking if we, if we could plan our vacation for something like that, surely we could come to church like that, right? It's, that doesn't mean we never cancel, but I don't like to get in the habit of canceling because I like to be in church. And I think God wants us in church. Wasn't it good to see a couple of people baptized tonight? That was a blessing. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians tonight. If you're finding that in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you had a moment to think about it, many of you would immediately think of a particular doctrine when we mention 1 Corinthians 15. Because almost exclusively the 58 verses with few exceptions are about the topic of the resurrection and so uh, we're going to read a few verses and then we're going to uh, kind of focus in on a principle that applies to the resurrection but applies to many areas of our life so if you're able to stand let's stand for the reading of the word of God tonight first Corinthians chapter 15 Beginning with verse 32. The Bible says, If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Now keep in mind, 31 verses prior to this, almost every one of them, in some way has to do with the resurrection. So the question is, if I've done this, what advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if this is all there is, just party and enjoy yourself, and then we die. Verse 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? He immediately goes back into the subject of the resurrection. And with what body do they come? Now I'm going to spend most of our time in verse 33 talking about evil communications but we'll look at it in its context so let's pray as we begin father thank you for your word thank you for the privilege we have to be here on a Sunday night thank you that um, for your grace in our life thank you for those tonight who have publicly uh, professed faith in Christ and identified with you Lord in believers baptism and I 
and identified with this church through their baptism. We're grateful for that. We, we pray that tonight, Lord, you'd use the service to work in our lives, open our eyes, speak to our hearts. Help us with open minds and hearts to receive with meekness the engrafted word. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, the larger context of this passage has to do with the resurrection. Just Let's just quickly kind of look at an overview of the 15th chapter. In, in, aside from the message, the topic of the message tonight, this is a, a chapter that it would do us all to be well to be familiar with, and I won't read it word for word. But beginning in verse 1, Paul describes the gospel. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And then in verse 3, he says, I delivered first of all that which I received, how that here's the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He present, This is the gospel. There is no other gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Buried, raised on the third day according to our scriptures. According to the scriptures. And verse 5, in the next few verses, he gives evidence. And I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to try to read it word for word, but I just want to kind of give you the sense of it. In verse 5, he gives evidence of the resurrection. He says in verse 5, after he was raised... He was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then the twelve, a second appearance after Jesus raised from the dead. Verse 6, after that he was seen above five hundred brethren at one time. Verse 7, after that he was seen of James, James who would be the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Then uh, it says, and last of all the apostles, or, and, and, and then of all the apostles, verse 8, then Paul says, and last of all he was seen of me. The resurrected Christ revealed himself to, to uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. He gives all these evidences of the power of the resurrection. People raised from the dead. In verse 12, he mentions skeptics. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of dead? Apparently, there were some in the congregation there in Corinth who questioned or doubted the resurrection. So there were skeptics of this doctrine. Interesting verse, verse 29, Paul writes, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? That's the verse, by the way, Mormons use in their false doctrine of, of having someone baptized after a person's dead, getting baptized for the dead. There's only one thing wrong with that. There's nothing else in the whole Bible that even begins to allude to that. This is really talking about, I believe, pick the, what baptism pictures. What, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? It's a picture of the resurrection if the dead rise not. We witnessed it tonight. Two people who were what Romans 6 calls buried with him in baptism and raised to walk a new life. Baptism is a picture of the resurrection. Why even have that ordinance if there's no resurrection? He goes on... And looked in verse 30. He says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Basically, the motivation and incentive we have to sacrifice. He said, we, Paul could say this. We stand in jeopardy. Our lives are on the line all the time. But why if there's no resurrection? 
If, the, if this is the end of it, if we just die and they put us in the ground and it's over, then why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? And that's what brings us to verse 32, which as our beginning t- passage we read, he said, if after the manner of men I fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, and, and, and tomorrow we die. So, so why, what does it matter? So then we come to verse 33, and we look at verse 33 in the context in which it was given. It's a caution. Be not deceived. I believe every time God says be not deceived, it's because we have the tendency to be deceived in that area. And I assure you, many of us, many of us, including myself perhaps, we've been deceived in this very area he's talking about. So be warned. It's a warning. Young person, it's a warning. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, what he's saying there, evil communications, and I'm going to walk through this word for word, but He's talking about our associations. Being in the wrong associations can corrupt good manners. Being in the wrong associations can corrupt sound doctrine. And I believe that's why it's given in this context. There were already people there who were doubting the resurrection. And he's warning them, you better be careful who you hang around with. You better be careful who you listen to. And he gives all these different reasons to believe in the resurrection. And yet there are people there who did not. And so he's saying is wrong associations can corrupt right thinking and it can corrupt right living about doctrine and about many other things. One of the things I think this teaches us here in this passage is there are causes and effects associated with our doctrine because it's not just a doctrinal position. If you remove the resurrection, you remove eternal hope. When you remove the resurrection, you remove the thought of the judgment seat of Christ, give an account, stand before the Lord, answer for the way we've lived. If you do away with the resurrection, serving the Lord loses its meaning. I believe that's why he says in verse 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. Wake up. For some have not the knowledge of God. Shame on you. I speak this to your knowledge. If you put those verses together, he's saying the resurrection matters. It matters because it's true, but it matters because the way it affects you. And if you you don't believe right about the resurrection, you're not going to be living right. You're not going to be concerned about lost souls. You're not going to be trying to reach people. And so he says, a warning. Be careful what you listen to and who you associate with. And he says, on that subject... There are people all around you who need the gospel and you're not telling them, shame on you. Shame on you. The absence of the resurrection removes a major incentive for ministry, for helping people. If we lose sight of the resurrection, if we we live as though there's no eternity, if we live as though we're never going to stand before the Lord, if we live as though people that we know who die just lay in that grave until they rot away and their existence is terminated, if if we believe there's no resurrection, then why even care about people? I believe that's the purpose of the context. Evil communications corrupt good manners. People... In this church, the Corinthian church, if they continued, if these people continued to tolerate and associate 
with that false teaching about the resurrection, it could contaminate other people. It seems like we've read somewhere else, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Just look at the verse just for a moment, verse 33. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, let's just think about the word evil. When I think about evil, I think about Justin Hoke. No. No. <laughs> When I think about evil, I think about sin. I don't, are you that way? When you think about evil, you think about something that's sinful. But the word evil in the Bible often just means something that's harmful, something that's damaging. As a matter of fact, or something, I should say, in something, another synonym would be something that's wrong. We don't use that word evil necessarily that way, but the Bible does. And I'll give you an example. When people sinned in the Old Testament... And God pronounced judgment on those people. He already put judgment into play. They're going to be persecuted or, or judged or chastened because of their sin. But then they repented. And the Bible says that God repented of the evil that he thought to do with them. God didn't sin. He didn't repent of any sin. God can't sin. He repented of the harm or judgment that he was going to put upon them. So the word evil there doesn't just mean wicked. It just means that... When it says evil communications, it could just be harmful communications. It could be damaging communications. And what are the communications? Communications are associations. It's interaction. It's people that we're around. And there's a lot of, you know, proverbs about that that aren't from the Bible. Or maybe this is in the Bible. Birds of a feather flock together. That's, that's in Proverbs somewhere, I think. We become like those we associate with. So it's a warning. He's warning these people. Evil communications, and the word corrupt means to defile, to ruin, to harm, to destroy. And it corrupts good. Good meaning useful. Virtuous. And manners there is not just, manners is not just not belching at the table. Now that's a good manner, but that's not the only kind of manners there are. The word manners there has to do with your habit, your character, the way you behave, the way you act. Now just put it all together, evil communications corrupt good manners. If you listen too much of the wrong thing, you'll find yourself thinking that way, even talking that way. If you, if you listen, in the case of the Corinthians, if you listen to this false doctrine, it's going to wear off on you. So this... This is really what this verse is talking about, I believe, in the context. Do not be deceived about the resurrection. Evil communications corrupt good manners. But like so many things in the Bible, commands given in a particular context are principles that could apply to many other places and be in agreement and alignment with other scriptures. And that's the principle that I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this evening. The interaction, however that is, it could just be listening to a radio program, it could be hanging out with some friends, it could be, it could be watching things on television, but the interaction with wrong ideas and wrong people can ruin or corrupt our character and our usefulness. Very seldom, very seldom do you put a well person and a sick person in a room together and the sick person just gets well. You know what usually happens? 
the healthy person gets sick. Is that right or wrong? Might as well nod your head, it's right. We know it's right. And so this, it's a warning that we ought to be careful. We ought to be careful. And a person, say, well, a person could say, well, it won't happen to me. I want you to look at this. I hope you have your Bible open there. And look at it again, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manner. And what I want you to notice in that proverb, I think it is a proverb. What I want you to notice is what's missing in this proverb. When it says evil communications, there's in between that and corrupt, there's no may. Like evil communications may corrupt good manners. There's no could. Evil communications could corrupt good manners. There's no might. Evil communications might corrupt good manners. And you know why those words are not in there? Because those words would not appropriately be in there. Because evil communications corrupt good manners. It's a fact of life. And you can't you can say, well, I just don't believe it. Well, take it up with God. He's the one that said it. He's the one that wrote it. And tonight I want us to just, for a few moments, uh, and I'm not going to preach long. When the snow gets so deep, I can see it piled up outside the window out there. We'll wrap it up, okay? Um, but I want us to seriously, honestly, this would be my goal tonight. That every one of us would ponder what is a very common idea or notion. And that is it's possible for me to carelessly associate with wrong companions and it not have an adverse effect on me. Because that is the opinion of many people. I can listen to that worldly music and it won't affect me. I can hang out with the wrong crowd, it won't affect me. And you may not think it's affecting you, but your mom and dad may think it's affecting you. It's a principle of life. I think it's a powerful principle. I think it's a practical principle. It's something that all of us, it happens to preachers. As a preacher, I need to be careful, and I listen to other preachers, and I read what other preachers say, and read books by other preachers. But it would be possible for me to listen to or, or read different people who really have views different than myself, and I would consider views that are not really sound in doctrine, and become easier for me to drift in that direction. I think it happens all the time. It can affect us. It can affect your children. My mother, I was thinking about my mother today. My mother raised us in church, went to church every time it was humanly possible to be in church, and I'm not exaggerating, and gave me curfews and was careful about my friends who I hung out with, where I, I'm talking about when I was a young teenager. And you know what? I'm glad she was. The problem was, I would, didn't, my heart really wasn't in the right place. My heart really wasn't wanting to serve God. And so I was around people at school and different things who were doing some really bad stuff. Sometimes my mother didn't know about it. Sometimes I intentionally lied to her about it. 
And I'm not blaming anybody for the mischief I got into. But it dawned on me one day, every time I got in, every time I got in serious trouble, I was with people. I'm not blaming them. I think I was a bad influence on them as well as they were on me. I'm just telling you, though, this is, this is a principle of life. And it, affects, it can affect people's marriages. I mean, people who have marriages maybe that aren't the best, maybe they have issues, maybe they're struggling, and they get to hanging around listening to someone at work or whatever that seems to care more, seems to show more of an interest, and all of a sudden, without them expecting it, without them planning on it, all of a sudden their heart starts to shift in a direction. It happens. It happens in our spiritual growth. So the warning is that our associations can corrupt our potential. I know that we have to be reminded of this periodically, but every one of us as believers, we're constantly dealing with three areas of attack. The devil is real and he's working. We deal with that from time to time. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the devil doesn't have to be the only the only thing, the only influence to get me to do the wrong things, my flesh is inclined to doing the wrong things. And by the way, you might as well admit it, yours is as well. We deal with this every day. James says, he calls it wars and fightings among you that come from the lust that war in your members. Lust, the desire for pride, the desire for attention the desire to have your own way, the desire to be your own person. All these are prideful lusts that all of us deal with every day. And the third area is the world. I didn't make these up. It's in the Bible. The world, the flesh, the devil. They're put together. It's this evil trinity. The world, the flesh, the devil that work against us. Now what is the world? It's not the planet. It's the system, a world system. And by the way, who is the God of this world? Satan is. The God of this world. And he's, he's doing a good job at wreaking havoc in this world. He's promoting his agenda. And unless you've had your head in the sand, you can see that the, the pace of evil becoming more acceptable, more wicked, more vile, more blasphemous, it's like that snowball that's coming down the hill is just getting faster and more wicked by the day. I'm sure my grandmother and grandfather who went to church faithfully all their life, I'm sure their preacher preached the same kind of stuff I'm preaching right now. But I know he didn't deal with the same kind of stuff we're dealing with right now. So we need to be careful. We need to heed the warnings. Because most of us, if you thought about it, you may have friends or family or someone or maybe even yourself and you see how how this is you've experienced this you've been around the wrong people and many of us who've had bad habits in our youth whether it's smoking or drinking or experimenting with drugs and all those things I wish I would have never ever touched in my life they all have one thing in common Somebody that I would have been better off not being around encouraged me to do something that I later regretted it. 
And by the way, I, I was just as guilty myself as some other people that should have had more sense than hang around me. I'm just saying it happens. So it would be very foolish for you, young person, to think that this will never happen to me. That this is not going to be the path that I go on. I mean, what causes... Just think about spirituality or Christianity. And this applies to a lot of things, not just the faith. It applies to virtually everything in life in many ways as far as morality is concerned. But what causes a person who believes and practices sound biblical principles to begin to gradually shift to a different position or action? What causes that? Now, I'm going to make a statement that may seem judgmental, but I believe it to be true. That does not come from searching the scriptures and asking God, how can I be a better Christian? I don't think it does. If a person wants to allow themselves to be persuaded that, um, that things that we once held to be dear to us are no longer important, I promise you, you can find a ton of people to support you in that. You can. The internet's full of it. So let's just make some applications uh, this evening. First of all, um, parents, I believe, need to understand this particularly as it relates to their children. It's not easy being a parent. It's not easy saying no. Matter of fact, parents, I think sometimes parents discover this, you know, it's, it's, it's just easier to go along with it. Maybe your children are misbehaving, maybe they're talking back, maybe they're listening to stuff or watching stuff they shouldn't, maybe they're, maybe they're wanting to hang around friends, maybe even friends in church who are using foul language or... There's something about when a, when a young person discovers the weakest of their parents, and they do that, it's a mom or dad, if both of them are there, they know which one to go to, the one that's most liable to give in to them. And they just say, but I, you know, I'll, I'll be careful, I won't do that, I don't care what they say, it's just, it's hard for a parent, especially a parent who does not understand what we're talking about. To say, no, I don't think that would be best for you. There's something more important than our children liking us. And that's our children respecting us. And our children following what we say and we think and we believe is the best thing for them. So obviously parents have a particular... Um, incentive to really understand this be not deceived evil communications corrupt good manners don't be deceived but it applies to all of us when it comes to our values it comes to our doctrine I think that's one of the reasons we see one of the reasons not the only reason but one of the reasons we see people falling away among professing believers you know, Christians who believe in separation really get a lot of attack from other Christians. And I know there's extremes. I know, I know that people uh, can take anything. I could take things to an extreme. 
There is so much negative publicity today toward the doctrine of separation. I believe that many Christians, whether they realize it or not, are reacting the other way. I don't want to be associated with that. They're too strict. They're too, you know, you can't find a Bible verse for all those things. You know what? You're right about some of those things. But as has been said many times before, it's a lot safer to build a fence at the top of the hill than at the bottom of the hill. The purpose of the fence is to keep you from going over the hill. And sometimes we make uh, established things in our families or in our church, not because we have a chapter and a verse, but because we just want to be cautious. We want to be careful. We want to be warned about that. I became pastor here in 1981, and um, I think I was 27 at that time. And I, you know, I wanted to have, I wanted to be a good pastor, and I want to lead the church the right way. And and I, I got invited to a um, ministerial alliance meeting. That's a meeting once a month with pastoral leaders in the community. And I went to the meeting, and we met in that little room behind Lewis's Cafe back there. You know where that is? We met in the back room. <laughs> and I wanted to be a good community, be seen right in the community. But uh, when I heard the Catholic priest using profanity in that room, I thought, I don't need to be around this. And I shouldn't even be associated with this. So I went to, I, went, I think I went to one meeting like that. And, uh, and I get a lot of calls, and I'm very, when they say, would you like, would you think you could come, or maybe you could come, or could you announce this to your church? And I'm, always, I'm serious about this. You may not believe this, but I'm just gracious and find a way to say properly, no, I just don't think that's for us right now. But the point being, you know, I think this, I think this principle is true. I think it's true. Evil communications corrupt good manners. And we have to take it seriously. I'll give you an example, a doctrinal example. Um, everybody in this room and everybody that knows me knows that I'm not a Calvinist. By that I mean I do not believe that God predetermines before a person is born that they're going to go to heaven or hell and they have no say or choice about it. I don't believe that. I believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I believe that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. So I, that's just my position, and I'm not just saying it because I've heard it, I've studied, I've read, I believe this is the right position. I'm, I feel like I'm fur, fully grounded, fully persuaded in the doctrine of salvation that God wants all people to be saved. But occasionally I will read a pastor, read articles, read something for someone who is a Calvinist. But I am never even inclined at all to lean that way because I've established this. Doctrinally, I've established this matter in my heart with, 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 with Scripture. I mean, I, I can read that and reject the error that may be in some of that reading because... Just because a person's wrong on one thing doesn't mean he's wrong about everything. But it's possible for a person who's not really grounded to listen to that guy on the radio or to 
read that person's article and hear that little thought and begin to consider that. Now, I'm not saying I'm a better Christian or more spiritual. I'm just saying part of what's helped me is I've really studied the matter out and I'm firmly grounded in what I believe about it. The point is you can be, you can be influenced. You can be influenced by friends. You can be influenced by music, by worldly music, pop music. And, and really all that is is the, the world's philosophy put to modern tunes is really what it is. You say, well, it won't hurt my children. You're deceived. You're deceived. You say, well, so-and-so listens to it. That doesn't make it right. We don't, we don't pattern our belief after so-and-so. We pattern what we believe after the principles of God's Word. Television is pumping people's heads full of false philosophies. The Internet, video games. Now, I'm not sure that, that Pac-Man would ruin you spiritually. <laughs> But, but most people don't play Pac-Man anymore. Do you, guy? No. <laughs> entertainment. I mean, entertainment. I, I just wish I could somehow just, and maybe the Lord would do this, is just get us to take a fresh look at this subject tonight and accept the warning. It's not easy for a person to say, and by the way, we, my wife and I have had to make these decisions in our life. It's not easy for a person to say, I think I might be guilty of being too lenient and opening up the door for our young people to expose themselves to things that can only harm them, can never help them spiritually. It's not easy to be a man enough or a woman enough to say, I need to take another look at this. But I'm telling you, tonight would be a good night to do that. I think one of the most damaging things, and this does not apply as much to this group as the other things that I've said, but I want to say it, and that's the matter of education. The minds of children are so vulnerable. And do, do you ever wonder why, I'm sure you do, why we see all of a sudden, it seems like all of a sudden, the last few years especially, that so many Americans are embracing socialism. Why is that? What's happened? You mean to tell you what's happened? A lot of it comes through the education system. It comes through the training they're getting. It's not just really training. I think, I think historical truth is being replaced with anti-Americanism. So we're raising generations of young people who don't even know what a patriot is or what, why we are who we are. What's wrong with communism? There's something twisted, something perverted, something very evil about people. And now they're sitting in our Congress, they're elected officials, who really believe there's something to be admired about people like Adolf Hitler. That's sick. That's twisted. You know what happened? Evil communications corrupt good manners. You ever wonder, I certainly have, how could a, an eight-year-old child 
let's say it's an eight-year-old little boy. How can a little eight-year-old little boy begin to identify as himself being a woman and not a boy? How does that happen? Surely you understand there's nothing natural about that. Nothing. He's been programmed to believe that. These children have been influenced by parents, influenced by television, influenced by other things. So we need to be careful about these things. And, and I'm not going to make a long list of stuff, but I think you understand the text. We cannot, we cannot look, we should not look to the culture to tell us what's right and wrong. We should not look to society, look to what's trending, look to what's cool, look what the athletes are saying. We should not look at these people to determine what we want to look like and act like and talk like. Most of them are full of filth in their mouth and their behavior. They're not the example. And by the way, this I'm talking about in Christianity, but the same thing is true in many areas of life. And you know what? People who believe the right way need to stand up and speak up. I was glad this week. Now this is, this is, this is not a sign of spirituality, but I believe what I, we're talking about tonight applies to this. When uh, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks this week said that his team will no longer be singing the national anthem before the game. I wanted to choke somebody. My wife wasn't around. <laughs> I wanted to choke somebody. I wanted to say, you know, but I was glad the next day that the NBA said his vote doesn't count. We're going to have the national anthem. But, but that, you know, what, where, where does this kind of nonsense come from? Where did it ever become normal for people not to pledge allegiance or to want the national anthem? Am I, am I, is this just being old-fashioned? I don't think it is. I've been, I've been out of the NBA, the NBA and the NFL. I'm... I used to be such an avid fan of the NFL. I did. I liked football. I played football. I enjoyed football. But I, I didn't watch one, I didn't watch 10 seconds of an NFL game this year, including the Super Bowl. Right? Because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. I think, you say, what does this have to do? I think it, it, we're, we've let a little leaven leaven the whole lump in our society. People, I mean, people hear profanity and they don't even hear it. And the reason they don't hear it is because they hear so much of it. Young person, I would not have a friend that uses profanity. I don't care whose family they are if or they go to church, I would not have a friend that uses vulgar language. 
You say, well, they may not like me. So what? You know what's going to happen? You're going to become just like them. You say, you know, how do you know that? Because I just read it in the Bible. It's in the Bible. So, I mean, I could go on and on. I heard, I heard I read part of an article just the other day. It was a preacher, and I don't know him. It's not important who he was. But he was explaining to his congregation, apologizing for his whiteness. What? I mean, give me a chapter and verse. Now, people like this subject because people, you know, rednecks just like that subject. But I'm against racism. I'm against prejudice. But I don't, I don't think I need to repent of the fact that my color, that I'm light-complected. Where do people get this? They get it from the same place we get other ideas about it. It won't hurt if your kids do that or they go there or they hang out with them or they watch that. It won't, it won't hurt anything. That's where this stuff comes from. And I'll tell you, we need an awakening in our culture to get back. Just get, just get back to the Bible. So one thing we all need to think about as parents and as leaders along this line is, you know, people who follow us are watching us. And this happens sometimes. It does happen. And I know some cases where it's happened, but it's, it's not the norm. It's, not, it's the exception and not the rule. The rule is most people who follow us, including our children, most people who follow us are watching us, and their music standards or their Bible standards are probably going to be less than ours. They look at us like, your standards ought to really be up here, but it's okay if mine down here. And if you're a parent and you're setting the bar real low, you're setting, it, you're setting yourself up for a heartbreak. We need to be very careful about our music, about our language, about our, Christian, about our church attendance. I mean, what stronger message could you give to your children that Sunday night service matters than for you to be here tonight when it's single digits, zero wind, wind chill, and from what I can see out there, it looks like it's really piling up. No, it's not really. You know what that says to mom and to your kids? It says, you know, this matters to them. It ma this is important stuff. We don't lay out just because it gets cold, or we don't lay out just because we don't feel the best. This is important. You know why? It ought to be important to us. We're, we're, when I say we, I'm talking about our society, but it's not just our society. It's in our churches now. We're in a culture war. We really are about what's right and what's wrong, about what's best. And we need to take this seriously. And I think the farther this world goes, the more important it is for parents to take this seriously. For those of us who are older, and I look around this room, there's a lot of young people. But for those of us who are older, when I think about sitting in my grandmother and grandfather's house or with my mom, and I know they're sinners, but they watch TV. I love Lucy, and, 
Andy Griffith, questionable stuff. That's the, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't just a place that people like us went to because there's nothing else worth watching. That was all they had to watch. And by the way, believe it or not, we were in a lot better place then than we are now. And I'm looking at young people who, for you to take what I'm saying tonight, seriously is going to be a big step for you it'd be a good step but it's going to be a big step I'm going to be careful about where I go and what I do and what I listen to and what I watch what I say whom I'm around you say why would I do that Because evil communications corrupt good manners. Case closed. It's reality. Amen? Okay. So could I challenge you with this tonight as we close? Would you not think about the person next to you, in front of you, behind you? Think about you. As a teenager, as a preteen, a child, as a parent? Would you be willing to ask yourself, are there things that I'm tolerating, things that I'm associating with, things that I'm interacting with? That instead of helping me be stronger spiritually and helping me be a more separated, godly Christian, they're actually causing me to slip or to slide. Would you be honest enough to say, I'm willing to look at this and be honest about it? It may mean saying no to yourself. No, this is probably not the best thing to watch. This is probably not the best thing to listen to. This is probably not the best thing for my children to be watching. I know this sounds hard and it sounds old-fashioned, but God didn't give us television or electronics to babysit our children. I'm not saying there's not a place for it. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they can't be okay. There are, there's, you know, things, everything I'm saying is not altogether wrong, but what's it teaching them? What are they learning? Do you even know what they're learning? Right? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Father, I thank you this evening for your word. And I thank you for the wisdom of your word. God, I thank you for giving us principles to live by. Warnings. Serious warnings, clear warnings. God, tonight we want to take your word seriously. And I pray for everyone here tonight. Pray for myself. Lord, I especially pray for young people. And parents who are 
involved in teaching and training and loving and nurturing young people. God, give us wisdom. Your wisdom, not the wisdom of this world, but your wisdom. 